have your Bibles, go ahead and grab those. We are going to be in Habakkuk chapter 2 this morning, Habakkuk 2. Um, and this morning is really going to be the crescendo of the last few weeks. Everything that we've talked about and kind of looked at uh, is going to finally come to a point this morning. Um, so two weeks ago, we looked at the reality that we are so limited. We are so fragile and limited, and that when we try to step in and fix things, really what we do is in, end up making things worse and messing things up. Uh, and then last week, what we did is we just looked at God and how he's not like you and I, how he's not limited like you and I are, especially as it pertains to uh, time and presence. God's not bound by clock. Like this morning, this is what it'd feel like if we had a 10 o'clock service, right? Like, like we gained that hour of sleep. We got all of that back finally and all is well in the world. Like God's not bound by it being 10 o'clock somewhere or 9 o'clock. He's not like you and I. And then he's also uh, not bound with presence. God at all places, at all times, not limited like you and I to a certain day, to a certain place, but that he is able uh, to move, to see, and to be uh, in a multitude of places and in a multitude of ways. And so uh, then we ended last week with looking at how God is good and that all that he does is good and how he brings about all things for good. And the story we looked at last week was with Joseph. Joseph in the Bible in Genesis. Um, we talked about how God had come to Abram, also known as Abraham, uh, and made him a promise that he was going to be a father of many nations. And in that, he, uh, we get to Joseph. We fast forward a little bit to Joseph. Um, and Joseph is having these dreams, and he tells his dad and his brothers, and his brothers didn't like it. And so God was going to use this man in a monumental way. God had been giving him visions and pressing upon his heart. And what happens? His brothers are fed up with it, sell him into slavery. Well, they first leave him for dead, and then a band comes by, and they end up selling him into slavery. And as they sell him into slavery, he starts to earn favor with his slave owner and starts to kind of run the place. And as he does, he has access to the house. Well, the slave owner's wife's crazy and has this hankering for some Joseph. Um, but Joseph won't have that. He says, I won't sin against God. Uh, or my owner. And so he says he will not have that. And anyways, uh, turn of events, she tries to go for him. He runs out. She grabs a hold of his clothes. The, uh, the slave owner comes back. Potiphar comes back. And what happens? Ends up putting him in prison. How's, how can God work in that story? Well, while in prison, there's two people from the king's court that are in prison. While they're there, they have these dreams. No, nobody can interpret him, but Joseph can interpret dreams. God had blessed him with the ability to be able to do that. And so he interprets this dream and tells him what's going to happen. And it happens exactly like it said, but he also tells him, hey, don't, don't forget about me. When you get out, don't forget about me. And what happens? They forget about him. I mean, so can you imagine that for a moment? God's made you this promise. God is going to use you only to have you stuck in prison. Stuck there in prison, not being able to, to do what God has called you to do, being able to be what God has called you to be, but he's being what God's called him to be in that moment until Pharaoh has a dream that he can't get interpreted. And they remember Joseph, and they pull Joseph out, and Joseph ends up interpreting this dream that, that Joseph becomes second in command in the kingdom under Pharaoh. Now you're talking about God using and moving, but it took him this step, this step, and this step to finally get to where God could use him and get him where he needs him. So though what it looks like bad, though what it looks like horrific, God uses those moments to shape and mold and position and put us exactly where he wants us, to do a work in us exactly like he wants to do so he can get us and we can be used by him in a way that he wants to use us. And so the story ends with Joseph saving his family recognizing his brothers, and I, and I love it, some of the sweetest scripture, I believe, where he says, what you meant for evil, what you meant for harm, God used for good. 
And so we looked at all of that last week. And so this week, we're going to look at a backache. And we're just going to read one verse. We're going to read verse 4. We're going to look at it. And as we look at it, there's going to be this bit of compare and contrast with this verse. And then after that, we're going to uh, kind of have to decipher some Christianese. And what I mean by Christianese is simply this. Just some good old church jargon. You know what I'm saying? Like if you've been around church long enough, you know, there's a way that we speak, a way that we talk, certain things that we say, Christianese type stuff. And i uh, just kind of give you a little example real quick before we uh, get into what we're going to look at here in a little bit. But it's, and you've probably already maybe even participated in this a little bit this morning and didn't realize it. But, but it's one of those things of uh, when you come up in contact with someone else and they, how are you doing? And it's always, I'm fine. Blessed, brother, Blessed. And we'll use like certain words, certain church words, or, or certain words that, uh, that, that have carry a meaning that, that really mean something, but we kind of skirt around it a little bit. And so we'll have to do some deciphering, we'll have to do some looking and kind of breaking some of that down this morning so God can shape and mold and use us the way that he needs to and get us, get us broken down to where he can step in and start to rebuild. So I'm going to ask you if you'd pray with me this morning, and then we'll jump back to Habakkuk chapter 2, but let's pray. Father, we need you. God, I acknowledge that I need you. Lord, I, I just need you to speak through me. God, I need you to remove me from everything. And God, may it be your voice. God, may it be your direction. May it be your words that we magnify, that we point to. God, because anything that I have to say on my own is worthless. So Father, I pray that you anoint this sermon this morning. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit works in a mighty way in this place. And Father, I just want to plead with you like I do every week that you would save the lost. Father, if there be one here that don't know you as Lord and Savior Jesus, that you would rescue and redeem and that you would save. Oh, Father, you start to just pull on their heart right now in this moment. God, that you would start to reveal to them their great need for you. If there be one here this morning, Father, save, please. And Lord, for the rest of us in this room, Lord, that may be struggling in sin, maybe need to be encouraged, maybe need just a, a spot of hope, Father, that you would fill us this morning with your presence. Lord, may your Holy Spirit, may he do whatever he sees fit in this moment, this morning in this place. Jesus, but do a work. That's what we beg of you. Do a work like we've never experienced or known before. Father, move in a mighty way. Help shape and mold us through your word. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So Habakkuk chapter 2, starting in verse 4, this is what God's Word says. It says, Behold, his soul is puffed up, and is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. And so there's two kinds of men here that the Scripture is going to talk about. You have the puffed up man who is not righteous, a man whose confidence is in himself, uh, on his own, his own confidence. He is unaware of how limited he is. So his own answer is that he can solve it or that he can do it. He can get it done. He has no need to submit to God. There's no need to lower himself under the hand of God. He'll just take care of it. He'll just work harder. He'll just think faster. He'll just dive in all the more and he'll try to do it and accomplish it and get it done on his own. And what the scriptures calls a man like that or a woman or, or a person like that is that they're puffed up, that they're conceited. They're their own Savior, their own God. And so that's what's happening here in the Scriptures. That's what we see happening with Habakkuk. And so there can be this conceited nature even in religion where all of a sudden you don't even need God anymore. You've been walking with him for a while. You know the stuff that you need to know. You're kind of doing some of the stuff that you need to be doing and that you can just lose your focus, lose track of what God's doing. You can use God's language. You can use his stuff. You can use his doctrines, you can use his theologies, but you don't have a need for him. Now, you'd never say that with your words, but your life reeks of it. 
And I guess maybe the way I would describe it is this, is that we as the church can get so busy doing that we miss God in what we're doing. That we overlook and we forget that it's God that we're serving, it's God we're doing it for, that, that we're doing it for his glory. And I'm just going to be honest with you this morning, is that something that I have to fight against every week? I have to fight against it every week. You would think there would be no better setup to grow close to God than a, than a pastor. But all the time in the world, or in the word to produce, I don't have enough time in the world, all the, I need to get more, all the time in the word to produce, to do, to study, to read. Got to get a new sermon, got to have a new Bible study, got to find new illustrations, got to tell new stories. All of this time to produce, if I am not careful, I'll miss the very heart and reason behind even doing it. So the reality this morning is I don't preach for not one person in here. I preach for God, all the while allowing him to work on me and shape and mold me. And I have got to be very, very careful to guard my heart. If not, then I'll just do to be doing. And I'll miss the very one I'm doing it for. I'll miss the very life-changing transformation that could come from being in his word and being with him if I'm not careful. So I've got to guard against that. Church, we've got to guard against that with everything in us and remember why we do what we do and always come back to the reality of the cross. So that's the first picture that's painted here in Habakkuk. The second picture is this, is that the righteous shall live by faith. And so we know this, that we cannot keep the law to perfection and usually what I do is I'll kind of do this little game about the Ten Commandments and we'll kind of play for a moment. Like who's ever worshiped something that's not their God and we'll all raise our hand. Okay, we're 0 for 1. Who's ever told a lie? 0 for 2. Who's ever taken something that doesn't belong to you because it says not to steal, right? 0 for 3. And we'll kind of play around a little bit and we'll kind of walk through some of them. But then we're like, okay, but we can get to the ones that we can do finally. And so then we play for a moment about who, who's ever taken someone's life that's, uh, that they shouldn't have. Who's ever murdered somebody or killed somebody and nobody raises their hand. But then you have Jesus who comes onto the scene and he says, well, if you have hate in your heart towards someone, then you're guilty of murder. So now we're 0 for what, 4? And then you have the other one that we like to kind of say we can do this, don't commit adultery. And so for us, we think adultery is just not sleeping with someone that's not your wife. But again, Jesus comes along and what does he do? If you look at a woman with lust in your heart, if you look at someone with lust in your heart, then you're guilty of adultery. And, and so, so now we're over five. And do we dare need to go through the remainder of them? Because we can't even get those five right. And, and the, the the commandments are just a moral standard of living. That's what it is. Don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. And we can't even do the don'ts. So we feel the weight of that reality. We feel the weight of, of, of the law that's pressed down upon us. And we know that we can't keep it to perfection. And in the Old Testament, that's why they had the sacrificial system, right? It's why they were constantly going to the temple and killing bulls and goats and spotless lambs on the Day of Atonement. That's why they were doing that. They knew that they couldn't be righteous, that they couldn't stay righteous. They knew that they couldn't, so they trusted the sacrificial system to enable them to be righteous. And then we know from the New Testament that all of that is what? Just a shadow of things to come, right? It's just a simple shadow of the one coming that Jesus is going to come and he's going to become for us and he's going to be the final sacrifice. We'll need no more sacrifices, but Christ is going to be the one that's going to cover us with his blood. Who's going to appease the wrath of a holy God? That's going to be Jesus. They knew they couldn't keep the system. But in the end, you and I, we're righteous only because of what Christ has done. Not because of what we've done, but because what Jesus has done. And so there's a way for a righteous person to live. And the way that righteous people live is by faith. That's the way that we're to live. And so let's unpack what faith is. 
where it comes from, how you can exercise it, how do you work it out. Let's unpack that for a moment. This is where I think we need to break down some of the Christianese type language and jargon. And so then after we do that, we'll come back to Habakkuk and we're going to define what kind of man or woman you are, whether you're puffed up, conceited, unrighteous, or whether you're one righteous living by faith. And so we're all by nature, we're creatures of faith, right? We know that. No matter who you are, we, we are all creatures of faith. Let, let me try to illustrate it real fast for you. So you got in a car this morning and you completely did that by faith. You completely believed that what the brakes would work. So as you stepped in the car, you started it, you got in and you drove off believing that there were certain components about that car that would work just fine. But you got in the car and getting in the car was an act of faith. Maybe the second illustration that I would show you this morning is this, is the chair that you're sitting in right now. The, the chair that you have made your home for these next few moments Probably didn't test it at first, did you? Probably didn't come in, shake it a little bit, check it, make sure. No, no, it was just simply an act of faith. What did you do? You plopped down. You sat down believing that that chair would do what it was created to do. So one cannot function in this world in a healthy way without faith. In fact, I would even contend that probably the most staunch atheist practices faith at a religious level. The most staunch atheist See, we have a simple act of faith that is that there's this God who has revealed himself to us in the Holy Scriptures. Now, the atheists, they act on faith. It's like this. Well, I by faith believe that the universe works this certain way. Or I by faith accept that this scientific research isn't going to be debunked 15 years after now from like all the other scientific research is debunked. I'm going to believe that it will hold true. So I think what we need to do this morning is this, is that we need to spend some time and we need to define what faith is. We need to look from the scriptures and really understand, get a better grasp on what it means to be men and women of faith. So if you have your Bibles, turn over to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews 11. It's going to be far to the right. Hebrews 11 is where we're going to land as we look at what the definition of faith is, what it means to be men and women of faith. Hebrews 11.1, 1, this is what the scriptures say. It says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Assurance of things hoped for, conviction of things not seen. So let's play again for just a moment with the car illustration that I've given you earlier. Right? Brakes in your car, the chair you're sitting on. We're going to put that to this text and we're going to look and see how this matches up with faith. And so faith is the assurance of things hoped for. So when you got in your car this morning, you weren't afraid that the brakes weren't going to work. You just got in and you did what you always do. Stick in the key, start it up, put it in, in reverse, put it in drive, and you take off. So there's complete assurance on your part that those brakes are going to work. They're going to do what they were created to do. Complete assurance on the part of your chair that you're sitting in this morning that it's going to do what it was created and made to do. That it's going to hold you up. And so I'd probably think that none of you tested it out this morning. None of you came in and jumped on uh, the chair and uh, checked it and made sure that picked it up and shook it a little. None of that. I was, imagine none of that happened. Or you probably the guy didn't get in your car this morning and pumped the brakes a multitude of times. If you did, you need to see me after. We will find you a car that works. We'll get you some brake pads if we need to. But, but I'd be willing to bet that there wasn't any or hopefully nobody that would have done that. That you didn't push down on that chair. That you didn't pump the brakes. That you didn't check but that you felt certain that they would do what they were created to do. So you had assurance. But, but what did you have assurance in? In hope. That's what the scripture teaches. It's the assurance of things hoped for. So your assurance this morning was in hope. Hope that you hoped your brakes would work. You hoped that that chair would hold you and you were assured of it. So what did you do? You sat down. 
You got in the car and you drove. And so faith, not only is it the assurance of things hoped for, but it's also the conviction of things not seen. The conviction of things not seen. So again, did anyone crawl up under their car? The brake lines connected to the, I, I'm not a car guy, I don't know. That was, that, was, that was a cheap laugh. I'm sorry, I apologize for that. But, but did you follow out the brake line? Did you check it? Did you make sure? Did you look at what it was connected to? Did you YouTube it and kind of watch the tutorial? Okay, this goes to here. Uh, yeah, that looks good. Did you, did you pump it? Uh, all right, baby, you stand in front. I'm going to back this thing up for a second. If it goes wrong, that tree, I'm going to take it out. Uh, like, was there any of that? I would have ventured to say no. No. Did anybody make sure that your chair was put together correctly? Did you crawl up under it? Bring out your Allen wrench, your socket set, shake it a little bit, pull on the seat real good. Was there any of that this morning? No, you had a con deep conviction that it would do what it said that it would do, that it would be and hold up like it said it would be and hold up, whether that be brakes, whether that be chair, or whether that be a multitude of things that took place this morning. You just sat down because you had a deep conviction of what you don't see. And so what that tells me, what that lets me know is that we're all creatures of faith, Right? So faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It's the deep conviction of what we cannot see. That's the biblical definition of faith. What we know about faith is that it's impossible to please God without it. That's what the scriptures teach. That we can't please God without faith. And so let's look at where faith comes from, how we grow in our faith. Flip over to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians 2. Look at Paul as he pins this letter to the there at Ephesus as he gives them and lets them know where this faith comes from, how to get faith, all about faith. Ephesians 2.8 says this, it says, for by grace, grace is just simply unmerited favor, for by grace, God's unmerited favor. You've done nothing to deserve it, nothing to earn it. It was unmerited, unwarranted. God just pours out upon you grace, for by grace you have been saved, how? Through faith. So you're saved because of God's grace and through faith. And then look at what he does. Look at what he says next. He says, and it's not your own doing. Paul wants to remind the believers there in Ephesus that you had nothing to do with it. It's not because you're awesome. It's not because you've got it going on. Or it's not because God looks down the road and is like, I need them on my team. 2018 will be a great year for them to be on my team and join me because I can really use. There's none of that that goes on in heaven. There's no conversations between God and the Holy Spirit. No, it's all unmerited. It's all unwarranted. God just pours out his grace and he gives faith where he gives faith. And through that, we come to know him as our Lord and Savior. It's none of our doing. But the scripture says that it's a gift of God there to finish out verse 8. It's God's good gift. God's good gift. What's his good gift? Salvation through his son. Faith given to mankind. All of that is a gift of God. And then verse 9, he tells us why he gives it as a gift. Because it's not a result of your works. Again, he says it again. It's nothing that you've done to earn it or deserve it. You haven't worked hard enough. You haven't been awesome enough. You haven't been great. It's not because of your own doing not a result of works. Why? So that no man may boast. So that no man may boast. He, did, he doesn't want us to be arrogant, puffed up. He goes right back to what he's talking about in Habakkuk here. No, it's a gift of God, a good gift of God. Faith and salvation and it's unmerited to all of us who come to faith. He doesn't want us to be arrogant and boastful and prideful in it. And so this puts us in an absolute position of desperation. A complete position of desperation where we can't just muster up faith as much as we've got to continually ask the Lord who pours it out upon us to give us and grant us more faith. 
It, it makes me think of this story in Mark chapter 9. You've probably heard it, but I'm just going to tell you this story in Mark chapter 9. You've got Jesus who comes down off the Mount of Transfiguration, and you have the rest of the disciples there. They're kind of arguing and fussing amongst once, once, another, once another, each other, and the scribes because they've, they've tried to cast out this demon in this little boy, but they've been unsuccessful. They haven't been able to, to manage to do it. So Jesus comes down, and in the middle of this kind of chaos and stuff going on, he says, what's happening? What's going on? And so the father of the young demonized boy, he comes to Jesus, and he says to Jesus, hey, these disciples, they've been trying to cast out this demon in my boy, but they just can't seem to do it. They've been unsuccessful. And so my son, since he was young, he's gritted his teeth. He's gone into convulsions. The demon that's possessing him has even tried to kill him on multiple occasions by trying to throw him into the fire or by trying to throw him into water to drown him and destroy him. But thank God we've been there. We've been able to rescue him. We've been able to save him, drag him out. He says, Jesus, can you help me? And then Jesus kind of gives this quick line and he says, it's about believing. He says, if you just believe, he says, all things are possible. If you just believe and have faith. And when he says that, the father falls to the ground. He begins to sob. He begins to cry. And this is what he says. He says, Father, I, I believe, but can you help my unbelief? He says, he says, I believe, but there's still this little bit in me that maybe doesn't fully get it, doesn't fully grasp it, doesn't fully understand. Can you help my unbelief? Can you give me what I don't possess right now, what I, what I lack? Can you fill me with that faith? I've got a little bit. I've got some of it. I'm trusting what you're saying. I'm just not fully there yet. Can you help my unbelief? And so I guess this morning as, as I was reading through this once more and just looking at it and this week as I was looking at it, and we've got a list of names right now from our fellowship, from our people that are just hurting, whether it be cancer, whether it be the loss of a loved one, whether it be just a multitude of things that are happening in our people with us. I thought maybe, what, what if this morning this is where you're at? I don't, I don't see clearly now. I don't quite understand why whatever's going on is going on, but, but I'm going to believe you. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to walk with you. Can you just help me here in these areas where I have that unbelief? Maybe have you ever been in that situation where you question how God could come through in this situation? How God could answer and how God could work in this moment, in this situation? And it's in those moments our prayers, yes, God, I believe. Yes, Lord, I'm going to trust you. Yes, Lord, I know what you've said. God, I know that you've got a perfect plan. And so I'm going to believe you and I'm going to trust you, but can you just help my unbelief? And so maybe that's where you're at this morning. Maybe that's what's going on in your heart. Maybe that's what you're struggling through. So hear me, maybe that'll encourage you this morning that the reality is this, is that faith is just a gift of grace. Faith is a good gift from our Father. And so that's why I'm always going to be big on the Scriptures. Let's get into the Scriptures, get plugged into the Scriptures. Let's fall in love with God's Word. Romans 10, 14 through 17 says it like this. How then will they call in on Him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in Him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching and how are they to preach unless they are sent? That's what the author of Romans says. How are they call on him in whom they've never believed? How do they believe in him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And the thing we've understand about the scriptures is this is, is when that's written, it's not this. This is not what talk about. He's not, we need to get a pulpit. We need to get a group of people. We need to put some padded seats in here. We need to get a nice little band to lead us. We need to get some lights and some uh, PowerPoints. No, no, he's talking about that. When he's 
talking about preaching. He's talking about uh, the believers going and proclaiming Jesus. Like you get that this morning, right? Every one of us in this room that's come to Jesus through faith, that have a relationship with him, uh, we're called to be preachers of the word. We're called to proclaim the good news of Christ. Every one of us. We're called to tell people about Jesus, whether you're in middle school, high school, out of school, working a nine to five, working the weekends, working whatever you're working, going to practices, going to games, going to what we're called to preach and proclaim as we go. This is not a pastor scripture here. You feeling called to ministry? No, we're all called to ministry. You feeling called to preaching? No, we're all called to preach and proclaim the good news of Jesus. And how are they to hear without someone preaching? How are they to know? Faith is a gift of grace. And that gift is dispensed. How? By hearing. By hearing the word of God. That's how it's dispensed. That's how we grow in our faith. How? We hear God's word. We, we grow in God's word. We get to know God more. See, we become believers and our faith grows into that belief by hearing the words of Jesus. By sitting under the word of God. So if I was to ask you this morning, what does your faith look like? How is your faith? How would you rank it or rate it? If there's even a system to do that. And if you'd say, well, it's just not good this morning. My immediate follow-up question would be, how are you doing in the word? What does your time alone in the word with the Lord look like? How does your time under the preaching and teaching and proclamation of God's good, good news, how, what does that look like? What's God saying? What's God doing in your heart? What's God stirring as a result of spending time with him and his word? That's what changes. That's what transforms. That's what helps us grow in our faith. I mean, think about it for a moment. The story that we read last week is crazy, is it not? I mean, the, the last few weeks as we've looked at Abram, to become Abraham and his wife Sarah, and they were up in years, some hundred years old, when they have a kid. I mean, who's signing up for that? What woman in this room is like, yeah, give me that. That's what I thought. I'm 35, and we're trying to figure out, do we go three deep, or do we stay at two? I don't know. Like, I'm more slap out sometimes, you know? I couldn't imagine at a hundred what you're doing. Good Lord, help them. Gosh, and so you see stories like that, and then we fast forward to Joseph and his story. And he gets sold into slavery. But God has favor on him. And then he goes to prison. And while in prison, God has favor on him and uses him. All the way up to the second in charge. I mean, th is this not... Cr so what happens to our little... What happens to our souls as we read stories like that? We're reminded of the goodness and faithfulness of God. And so what does it do? It just allows our faith to grow all the more. Because this is the thing that we've got to understand, church, is those people in Scripture, there's nothing special about them. They're just like you and I. They haven't been to seminary. They haven't had Bible studies. They, they haven't attended church regularly. They haven't done any of that stuff. They're just men and women like you and I, and for whatever reason, God and his sovereignty, I want you. I want you to follow me, and this is what I'm going to do in your life. What grade are you in? Little middle school kid, what can you do for God? Let me tell you what you can do for God, sister. And you can flip your school upside down. You can change the world with the gospel that we proclaim in this place. He just looks for people who are willing, who are able, who would say, yes, here I am, Lord, send me whatever you see fit, whatever you want to do. Nothing special about the men and women in Scripture. They're not 
superstars. They're not varsity. There's nothing great about them. God just in his grace and mercy uses them for his glory and for his honor, and they are obedient. And hear me, even in their obedience, they struggle and they flop around a good bit. Uh, Remember the story about Abraham? It had been some 15 years and still no kid. So his wife gives him the good present of their, their, their maid. You go, Abraham, you can have her. Let's get us a kid. I mean, how messed up is that? I mean, is that not just crazy? Try to short-circuit God's plan. Try to short-circuit God's system. Here, here you go. You can just have her. We'll get us a baby this way. I mean, that's so messed up. And he does it. And they get a kid. And then there's tension and there's struggle in the house as a result of it. But God still in that mess up and that blunder still works and moves, does he not? Still moves in a mighty, mighty way. And so I just, as I was thinking, as I was looking at this, this whole thought of faith and this whole thought of growing and maturing, I just think that there's, there's different types of people. And two that I want to highlight are, are those people who kind of stumble down and it's maybe a, a slow-growing process. Maybe you haven't just catapulted to the top of the line in maturity yet. And then there's those type A'ers who does all the right things all the time regardless Boom, 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 boom. No, it says to pray six hours. I'm going to pray six hours. Or it says to read this. I'm going to serve this way. And, I'm gonna, and just everything's lined up and in order. And, and wherever you fall in that, the reality is this is that we need to grow and become spiritually mature. And sometimes it happens from struggling about and around. And sometimes it happens from, being, from self-discipline. But the fact of the matter is we need to exert energy. We need to put ourselves in. We need to be men and women of faith who need to remember our unrighteousness. Christ, it's his righteousness. That's where it comes from. He imputes that to us. It's nothing that we've done, but it's everything that Christ has done. And so as a result of faith, we do something with that. As a result of being men and women of faith and living by faith, we do something with our faith. We live it out. We make it known. We don't have to be boisterous about it, but we need to talk about it. We need to share it. We need to tell people. We need to live the right way. We need to act the right way. It's not about behavior modification, but it kind of is. It's not about us just trying to knuckle down and do better. It's about God transforming and changing us. And as he does that, then I'm going to make the right decisions. I'm going to live it out and walk a certain way and and be a certain way. So so one more scripture, James chapter 2. James chapter 2. You have the half-brother of Jesus who pins this and he says this. He talks about faith. James chapter 2, starting in verse 14, it says this. It says, what is... What good is it, my brothers, if someone says that he has faith but does not have works? And so this phrase here, as he uses it, it describes someone who continually lacks this external evidence of, of the faith that they claim to have. They're, they're lacking it. They, they say that they have it, but, it, but it doesn't, it's not working out for them. And he says this, he asks this question, can that faith save him? Rhetorical question, isn't it? The answer is no, it can't. Why? Because faith has been meant to be lived out, not to be hoarded up. Not to be shared. Okay, I'm just going to be a guy of faith over here in the back closet doing my thing. Don't worry about me. You do your... No, that's not how this thing is set up. We live it out. I believe it, but I don't uphold and live out everything that I say that I believe. That makes no sense. And so James here, what he's doing, he's just opposing the notion that saving faith can be intellectual only. They can have a bunch of knowledge about stuff and, and, and that be considered saving faith. That's not the case. Because what he does is in uh, James... Uh, 2, 15, and 16, he uses this illustration to, to point by comparing faith without works to, to words of compassion without acts of compassion. It would be like this, hey, I'm such a compassionate person, I'm such a compassionate person, and seeing the guy out on the corner not showing compassion to him. 
I'm such a compassionate person. I'm just flowing of compassion. And to see somebody hurting and broken and do absolutely nothing for them. It would be like running around saying those type of things and not acting upon it. He says that's like those who say they have faith, but they don't show their faith by their works, how they live, how they do, how they be. He says that's not how it goes. That's not the case. And then he jumps on into verse 17. Or yeah, verse 17, he says this. So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. What he's saying is this, is that faith is not faith unless it's acted upon. You can say you have faith all day, but what are you doing with that faith? That's not genuine saving faith is what, what James says. Verse 18, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. And so James, what he's doing is saying that the only possible evidence of true faith is works. It's going to be shown true. Like the guy running around saying, hey, I'm compassionate, I'm compassionate, I'm compassionate, but never shows compassion. Never shows mercy. See, Jesus even kind of echoes that same thought, does he not? Whenever he says um, that a tree will be known by its what? Fruit. You're going to know whether or not someone belongs to Jesus by the way they act, by the way they talk, by the things that they do. Their motives will be made known. Their heart will come out. And hear me, I know the pushback that is sometimes even good trees from time to time produce bad fruit as well as a bad tree will produce what appears to be good fruit. He's got to give it time. Motives will be made known. Heart will be shown. Why? Because Jesus is gracious and loving enough to let us be found out. You say you belong. You say you're his. Well, he loves us enough to let our sin be made known. He cares for us enough to help us quit playing games. That's the good God we serve. And so as I read this, as I thought about this this week, I thought, should I go there? Should I not go there? Like, I don't know. I don't know if we'll get it. I don't know if I should. And there's so much commotion about this right now. But I decided I'm going to go there. And I'm going to talk about the one Kanye West. And people are like, huh? Kanye who? And they're like, oh, you guys are like, yeah, my boy Kanye. We got it. Yeah. And so the big, the big thing this week has been this. Whether you know Kanye or you don't know, I don't know Kanye. I, I know one song of Kanye. I'm not a big, avid Kanye listener. Um, and so one song of Kanye. Kanye is like this rap guy in the world that I'm doing a horrible job, aren't I? But he, he, he's a rapper and a big influential type guy in the world, famous. Everybody loves him. He, um, he's got a Kardashian wife. I don't know if you keep up with them or not. But, um, uh, anyway, he's married to one of the Kardashians, and I, I don't even know who they are. Just people that get TV shows. How do these people get TV shows? But they've got a TV show, and so he's married to one of them and, and things like that. And so the big to-do this week has been this. He's come out as a believer. And he's also promoting his new album, Jesus is King, right? Fact check? Okay, good. Jesus is King. That's his new rap album. And so you've got this big rapper who's come out as a believer, and he's got this new album that talks about Jesus is king and kind of promotes Jesus and talks about him. And, and so, uh, so there's this debate right now going around. Is he saved? Is he not saved? Is he, this is, I've even saw something this week that said this is the, this is the modern day Paul. I wouldn't go there because obviously whoever wrote the article does not understand and know who Paul is. But, uh, but anyway, so, so there's this big to do right now. Some say yes, he is. Some say no, he's not. Some say they're split down the middle. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. He's got a record. So all of this like debate and whirl around it. And so what do we do with that? How do we respond? How do we answer? 
And so I've got three things I want to just address with that. Well, let's give it some time, can we? Let's just pump the brakes for a second. He's just come out as a believer. And where am I going to land with this? I pray to God he is saved. I mean, can you imagine how amazing that would be? Not, and, and I'll talk about it here in a moment, not for maybe the reasons people think, but how amazing that would be if God rescued him from the pit of hell? I mean, think about that for a moment, whoever they are. Whether it's the bum on the corner or the great rap artist out in California. The fact of the matter is that our God still saves, hallelujah, church. You got it? And so where I'm going to land in this is let's give the brother some time. I mean, he's just come out in his faith. This is amazing stuff. Let's just, let's just pump the brakes for a second. I'm going to land where that old-time revival preacher landed. There was this old-time revival preacher that rolled into a city and, and did a revival, tent revival like never before. Thousands upon thousands upon thousands came to this revival. And at the end of the week, the newspaper gets a hold of him. They interview him. And they man, we saw everything that had happened. We heard the stories. Man, the throngs of people that came down. How many would you estimate were saved? How many thousands upon thousands came to know Jesus this week as a result of this revival? The old man looks him in the eye and he says, let's give it six months to a year and we'll know. So let's just pump the brakes for a second, brothers and sisters. You know what I'm saying? Let's, let's let the guy live for a moment. Let's, let's see, time will tell. We'll know. Uh, my second response is praise God if he's saved. And one, we're kind of playing in a dangerous place, aren't we? Because we don't see the heart of man. We don't know the heart of man. We don't know his motives. We don't know what he's about, what he's not about. Oh, he's just trying to promote cities. Is he? Is he not? I mean, some of the things that he's saying is pretty stout stuff in regards to faith, in regards to Jesus. And so is he? Is he not? Time will tell. And if he is saved, praise God. Because what the scripture teaches is that his faith will be made evident by his works and his fruit that's produced. Just as we just looked at here in the book of James. Praise the Lord if he is saved. And the third thing is this. He's a new believer. And show the same grace that the rest of us would want to have. Give him the same mercies that's bestowed upon us. He's going to learn. He's going to grow. He'll make strides. some missteps. Uh, let me just, yeah. From what I gather, there's not a person in here that's nailing it every day. And that's even coming from the man standing on the stage. I'm not living it out perfectly every day. I'm not executing obedience perfectly every day. I mean, I rebel. I sin just like everybody else rebels and sins. So there's going to be times where he's going to take strides. There's going to be times where he falls back. I mean, just pray that someone will enter into his life to disciple him, to walk with him, to see him mature and grow in his faith, whether he is or whether he isn't. It'll be revealed and made known. And if he's not, then maybe he'll come to saving faith. And if he is, then he'll grow and mature in that. And then he'll reach the world for Christ like the rest of us are called to reach the world for Christ. But praise God if he saved him. So should you and I really even care about this? Should you get sick and tired of the news feeds on Facebook and the news feeds everywhere? Should we even care? My response is absolutely we should care. But, but maybe the reason why I care if we care is a little different than the most is because of this. Hell's real. And every lost person, however famous or however unfamous they are, apart from saving grace in Christ, saving faith in Jesus, that's what they inherit for all eternity, is hell, separation, and judgment for sin. And what I read in Scripture and what I see in the Scriptures is we should wish that on nobody. Nobody. So is it a big deal? Yes. 
And hear me, the Christian faith doesn't need celebrities to keep it afloat or to keep it going or to make it relevant and cool. We don't need that. The church doesn't need celebrities. We've already got a celebrity, and the celebrity is Jesus, so we have no more room for celebrities. We're about the one name above all names, and it's Jesus. So the Christian faith is about dying to self and making Jesus famous no matter who you are, some pop artist or some whatever, but I will say I think it's kind of cool this week that Jesus got a little bit more exposure. I will say that that's pretty cool, that the searches on this Jesus guy, that the searches on faith, that the searches that way got a little bit more exposure. I think that's pretty cool. But hear me, that should be the case every week. Because as I've already mentioned, how will they know unless they go and tell? How will they come to faith unless they hear? And who tells? We tell. The church tells. Believers tell. So we don't need the Kanye's, we don't need the celebrities, we don't need the superstars, we don't need the sport athletes, we don't need all the, we just need the church to be the church and the church to, to, to get a fire lit under our tail, to go out and tell the world of the saving news of Jesus Christ, the gospel. That's what we're called to do. The case should be this, is that Jesus is proclaimed every week, regardless. We make a big deal about him always. Off my soapbox, verse 19, he says, you believe that God is one, you do well. It says, even the demons believe and shudder. And it's scriptures like this that just scares me to death for the church. It's scriptures like this that just scares me to death for the church in America today. Because my question always goes back to what does that faith do to you? What has that faith done to you? Because what the scriptures say here is that even the demons believe. They believe in the physical they believe in the resurrected Jesus. They believe in the Jesus that, that, that heals people, that brings the dead to life. They believe. But there's something about their belief that does not lead to salvation. See, faith always moves us to relationship with Jesus, a deeper longing and gratitude for the grace of God. It shows itself with actions over sin, over brokenness of sin, repentance to sin. It shows it itself over glad obedience, a longing desire for him. That's what faith does, and that's the faith that is lacked in the demons. They don't have that submission to Jesus and his redemptive work on the cross. Verse 20 says, do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? James is a little bit amped up here, isn't he? I mean, I know people get uneasy sometimes with the things that I say or the stuff that I preach on, but look at our boy James here. I mean, he just, you foolish person, talk about offensive. To some, that's fighting words. That he says, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless. It's like, are you crazy? You say you have faith, but you don't have works to back up. The, that's pointless. Then why even say you have faith? Because faith is going to be shown in the works that you do. The things that you do, your heart's going to be changed and transformed more into the image of Jesus. And as a result of that, you're going to act more like him. You're going to talk more like him. You're going to respond more like him. You're going to do all of those things that represent him well. This is crazy. And then in verses 21 through 26, what James does is he gives three illustrations of living faith. He talks about Abraham again. He talks about Rahab. And he talks about the human body. And let's, let's, let's close here in this portion with verse 26. He says, for the body apart from the spirit is dead. So also faith apart from works is dead. Faith apart from works is dead. Faith is proved and shown by our works. We don't work for salvation, but we confirm that we are saved by the works that happen in our life, the fruit that's produced. That's what he says happens. So we need to be men and women of faith. Men and women of faith. 
So as the band comes up and as we close out, the reason why we need to sit under the gospel over and over and over again is because by hearing it, what happens? Faith grows. And as the gift of faith grows, we become more and more assured of what we're hoping for. And what happens is we develop deeper convictions of what we cannot see. I mean, how certain are you of Jesus this morning? Why do you believe that way? Because you've seen him move. You've seen him do. You've read his word, his stories. You believe him with everything in you. And as you read him and follow them and believe in who he is, you see it played out in your own life. Things happen a certain way. And as you get to that point and you look back at the road and you see where he's brought you, how he's got you to this place, it just strengthens your faith all the more because his word is confirmed all the more. So here's why I want to push you to be people of the scriptures. I want to push you to be people of the gospel. Because as you get into these things, as you practice these things, God's word, his truth, they start to grow, they start to take hold. They become second nature. So this morning you didn't check your brakes. This morning you didn't check your seat. You sat down and so when faith is exercised over and over and over again, it becomes like your brakes. It becomes like the chair that you sat in this morning. That's what happens. And so what we see is Habakkuk in this moment. We see him here in this moment on the watchtower having this conversation with God, this conversation that's going down. Remember him on that tower as, God's, as he's just waiting on God's response. His arrogance, his puffed upness, his con- he's conceited. And the question I would close with is this, which one are you? Which one are you? Are you puffed up and conceited with no need for God? Or are you one that lives by faith and has put trust and hope who Christ is and what he's done for us. Which one are you? Because I believe before we go any further in this book, that's the question that we've got to answer. That's the question that we've got to get to the bottom of. And my prayer is this, church, is that the more you hear it, the more you're around it, that his grace will grant you all more faith to believe and to walk in his truth and who he is. See, please don't leave this place how God describes Habakkuk in chapter 2, verse 4, where he says, behold, his soul is puffed up. It's not upright within him. God's saying, Habakkuk, our boy's not in the right place, not in a good place. He's not not exercising the faith that he needs to be. But then he contrasts it with this, but the righteous shall live by faith. How do you prove that you belong to Jesus? You live by faith. How do you prove that God's working and doing? You live by faith. And where do you get that faith? You get that faith through his word. You get that faith through Christian community. You get that faith under the preaching and teaching and proclamation of the gospel. Faith grows. The more we're around it, the more we practice it, the more we put it into play, it's going to grow. The stronger you're going to be. It's like the dude at the gym. He goes, why? So he can get stronger. We read God's word, why? So we can get stronger. We can believe more. We can walk out our faith all the more. We can tell and we can share. We can become more confident in what we believe and know what we believe and why we believe what we believe. So I don't know where you're at this morning. I don't know what God's stirring in your heart. But my prayer for us as a church is that we be a church that is known for our radical faith, our life-saving faith. And that faith comes from God and God only. Let's pray. Father, we need you. Let's pray that you strengthen the faith in this room. God, strengthen mine. Jesus, I recognize and know that I absolutely positively need you, that I'm not even close. And so, Father, I pray that we'd be a church that lands at that place. We can't muster it up. We can't do it. We can't fake it till we make it. We just got to rely on you. And, Father, the stories that we hear, the truth that we get a hold of 
from your word, God, will shape us and transform us and help us to be big and strong as it pertains to faith. God, help us believe and walk in the craziest of things because so often what don't make sense to this world makes perfect sense to you. And God, that's where we want to be. That's where we need to be. So Jesus, work and move amongst your people in this place this morning. God, save the lost. Maybe the one that don't have that faith to believe this morning. God, give them faith. In your name we pray. Amen. If you stand, Eric's going to lead us in a song. If you need to come pray, if you need to talk, I'll be down here at the bottom. would love to talk with you more about what it means to have a relationship with Jesus. But you be obedient as God leads this morning.